standard issue for all women. Hello there, you bunch of smashes. Mickey here. Welcome to one out of two of this week's Sunday Chops. We are serving you a feast this Sunday, or whatever day you're listening to it. I'm recording this in my studio, (laughs) in my back bedroom, and up here in the north it is, and I think the technical weather term, is blowy as fuck, so apologies if you can hear wheelie bins rattling round the alleyway, which isn't actually a euphemism. Also my cat Clarky cat is padding about and he likes to get involved, so you may hear him meow or tinkle his bell. Again, not a euphemism. Enough of me wanging on about nonsense. In this plate of Sunday Chops, Hannah and I chat to excellent broad Anne Miller, QI Elf, bookworm extraordinaire. She came in to chat to us about three books in particular, but there was a lot of chat about other books that stemmed from that, and hopefully this will give you a decent reading list if you've not already read them. If you have read them and you want to tell us what you think, then do tweet us at Standard Issue UK, and Anne is on at Miller underscore Anne, and that's Anne with an E. Or you can get me and Hannah. I'm at Mixter Noonan. Hannah's at that Dunleavy. And we'd love to hear what you think. Or what you reckon you're going to read. Or what were your favourite childhood books. All of the things. There are other chops for you to listen to. Including an extra one this week. Where Hannah is chatting to brilliant actress Monica Dolan. About her latest play. And about how, you know, not many people get to play Rose West. And then snog Alan Partridge. It's a varied career. It's a varied career. I've been rattling on for ages. Please check out our other podcast, Gigcast Podzines, on Acast or iTunes or however you get your podcast fix. And without further ado, eat up. Hello, we are joined in the studio by the wonderful Anne Miller, our books expert when we were an online magazine. And finally, we've got her in to do some actual talking. Hey, Anne. Hi. Thanks for coming in. No worries. You've brought stuff. I brought I brought props so you can some atmospheric noises. Ah, <laughs> noise. But that's how I read. Let's see if I can just... <laughs> Check the size of them first. That was a good noise. <laughs> Sounds like we're playing cards, but... <laughs> we're just gambling and yeah. talking about books. Hands up if you're a noisy reader. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so you've come to talk to us about three books in particular. Yes, I've brought three. So I have brought Three Things About Elsie by Joanna Cannon. This came out at the start of January. We've got Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman, which that one came out last year, but it just won, well, last month, won the Costa First Novel Award, Mm -hmm. and it's currently Waterston's Book of the Month, so you'll see it everywhere. And I have Lucy Mangan's Bookworm, A Memoir of Childhood Reading, which is out in a few weeks. Uh, Lucy Mangan is on our April In Conversation show. Plug. How convenient. How convenient. It's almost like unplanned it. It, w- it was. She's good, isn't she? She's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> you can ask her about Bookworm. I'm sure she'll be pleased. And which one are you going to start with? Let's start with Bookworm because that's about children's books, so chronologically. It's it also feels, in your hands. It's yeah. also the one I'm holding. So so Lizzie Mangan, I've loved since I was, God, high school. I used to read her column in The Guardian all the time, first thing I ever read. She's written books before, uh, compilations of her columns. She wrote a book about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But this is her musings on perfect childhood reading. So she takes her own books she loves, starting with The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And she goes through. Doesn't love The Very Hungry the Caterpillar. Very hungry caterpillar. Mad, people. Mad people. You know, it was originally called A Week with Willie the Worm. Because he was inspired by the little um, hole punch. And then he thought, oh, a worm could crawl through. Ah. I think it's Eric Carl. He did well to change it to being a hungry caterpillar. Absolutely. Well, well in Lucy's book, it's because she also talks about why she loves them and about the adventures the characters go on, but also about how the books came to be and bits about the authors. So he originally wanted the worm. 
and I think his publisher said, could you try a caterpillar? And finally he just yelled, butterfly! And ran out of the room and then came back. <laughs> it's a much better ending. Now he's a butterfly. Yeah, it? absolutely. And he's still a worm. <laughs> We've all been there. Or maybe he just saw one out the window. And he just <laughs> yeah. chase it and get it. Just learn to catch it. But what's so nice about it, I think, is it's sort of these classics like, like The Secret Garden, ballet shows, books that I think kind of are the building blocks of a lot of readers now. But because it's Lucy's personal choice there's lots that I haven't read before there's sort of different things to think about in one there's one slightly heartbreaking bit where she quotes uh, Noel Stratfield's own thoughts on ballet shoes which is one of my favorite books and apparently Stratfield said the story poured off my pen more or less telling itself I distrusted what came easily and so despised the book have you like made a little list of what you want to go and read based on Lucy's recommendations yeah yeah there's a whole bunch of stuff I haven't read actually although also it also makes some books that I haven't reread so I haven't reread Barbar since I was tiny and in my head he's a sort of friendly elephant. Baba the racist elephant. Well I hadn't been aware of the racism until I read it here and was like ooh that adds a layer to it. Because when you're four it's just an elephant who wears a crown. Yeah. Yeah. And then He doesn't love an animal in fancy dress. (laughs) Quite. Exactly. Um, But that's the problem though. He's coming, he's he's taking on human ways and not being like the other elephants. It's part of his problem. Um, It's Orwellian when you look at it that way. (laughs) Jesus. But there's also a bit nice bits where she talks about um, her dad bringing home a book one day and saying, oh, you might like to read this. And it was The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And I think it's really nice, these moments of books that you sort of carry around forever and you don't know as a kid which one that's going to be. No. Do you remember any... Um, it caught you by surprise? Well, I wouldn't say a book because it caught me by surprise, but a book that my dad nagged me to read from, I would say, a very young age to the degree that I was probably too young to read it. And I actually read it when I was about nine, I would say, was um, To Kill a Mockingbird, which isn't a children's book by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it's, it's, it's got, a book with children. It's a book it? with yeah. children. <laughs> yeah, but, but yes, uh, that was the book that I was actually scared of that I might have to go back to him and say I didn't like it mm. because he did really nag. But the book that I was completely and utterly fascinated with when I was a kid and really loved and nobody else seemed to have read. And then I read to my nephew when he was about eight or nine was The Machine Gunners mm. by Robert Westfield. You wrote about it for us, which, didn't you? Which I wrote yeah. about for us. It's about some children growing up in Northumberland during the Second World War who find a downed German plane and sort of take control of the machine gun and what? decide to try and fight the Germans on their own with the machine gun. And it was amazing. It's a kids. Yeah. What shocked me when I read it to my nephew was how bloody it was, really? how absolutely gory it was. But yet, I suppose at the time it was written in the 1970s, it was written... For people to read to their kids, maybe that people who remembered the war or who'd had Mm. to read to their grandkids or people who had their parents tell stories about the war, like with my grandparents, that nobody ever seemed to think it. I had to actually censor it when I was reading it to my nephews because I was a bit, well, someone's decapitated in it. Yeah, but I really love that. That does not happen in the whole I do, but the weird thing about that book is I don't know how it came into my life. I can't remember being given it. I can't remember where it, sort of where it came from. But when I lent it to my nephew because I didn't have time to read it all when he was staying with me. It came with a lecture that if he lost it, I would be incredibly disappointed <laughs> in him. Not yeah. angry, just disappointed. Just really That's disappointed <laughs> in him because it was a much-loved book and it smelled well old. Mm. That's really interesting when you were talking about the, the violence and the, the gore. Yeah. when One of the series of books that I remember best from my childhood that my mum chose because there were a brilliant illustration on the cover were Brian Jakes's Red Wolves series and there was all about these feisty mice warrior mice oh, my brother had those the fighty mice the fighty <laughs> mice and Clooney the rat they were so bloody and so 
gory and full of death and nastiness and human characteristics given to these fighty mice and evil rat. But I still have them, the three that I really loved, and I, I still have them on my shelf. And I look yeah. up and I can remember all of the stories because I read them and reread them and reread them. And I think I was just attracted to that violence. Yeah, well, I liked her. I also really liked The Silver Sword, which is also a war story. Carrie's War, which isn't yeah. war, but it kind of is. In fact, anything about the Second World War, when I was, I would say, whatever age you start reading that stuff, from about mm. seven to perhaps your early teens, I devoured absolutely all of it. I was a big First World War fan. Yeah, but maybe a bit later, like as a teenager. I think it's partly Black because fault, I, think. I think it's <laughs> partly because with the Second World War, children were sort of tangentially involved in it because the Second World War sort of came to us in like the bombings and things like mm. that. So there was a place for children in those stories, although the Silver Sword's obviously about Russia. But yeah, I loved a bit of gore and war. I think war. it's like one of the most loved children's books is Watership Down, right? And yeah. that is just yeah. the most depressing, horrific. Yeah. Loads of them die. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But the cover is rabbits. And it yeah. Looks oh, look endless. at them. Look at the bunnies. Yeah. Watch it dead. That's what they should have <laughs> But I also liked a bit of... Because um, actually, technically, The Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe That's technically really counts violent. as a war story because yeah. it's they, they are evacuated, which is how they end up there. But and also, also really there's liked... a lot of battles in it. Yeah, yeah um, but also um, that thing again about realising stuff as an adult. So Lucy Mangan talks a lot about C.S. Lewis and his childhood and his... Yeah. Sort of Christian beliefs that are through the story, but points out that as a six-year-old, you're sort of more interested in the talking lion. Yeah, absolutely. Quite, yeah. And as an adult, you're like, I see what you were doing. Yeah. It's, and when you read it as an adult, you're like, you weren't even doing it with a light touch. That is very heavy-handed. <laughs> I, I think the really shocking thing one, about those is how little The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe is. You can like browse through that in an afternoon. Yeah. And I can remember reading that seemingly for weeks. Because you were learning. Because you, you were learning to read with but, it. Uh, and And doing those and of course also because I think the series then starts to meld into yeah. one big book in your well, It's also your that mind. concept of time as a kid, you know, summers went on forever yeah. and I feel like books sort of capture that yeah. whereas as an adult you're like, God, this year's flown Yeah, yeah. and I read it obviously it's exactly the same amount of time but it just feels longer when it's a bigger fraction of your life so yeah, far. Yeah, if you're seven, yeah. your summer is like a good chunk of your life but also what I love about the Lion the Witch stories is Everybody now looks at, looks at a wardrobe and thinks of that story. Like to have a story that everybody, years and years and years after your book was first read, yeah. still sort of looks at them or calls them Narnia wardrobes and knocks on the back. I think that's so magical to have something like that that just pierces through all the generations. Yeah. I also, and inexplicably, inexplicably given the background I came from, Loved a bit of anything that was in a boarding school, you know, that yeah, famous Mallory five types. What Katie what? did, what yeah. Katie did. Oh, what was I thinking? Little women, all these like posh birds that yeah. had no relation to anything that I was well, doing. Well, they weren't that kids. posh and little women, were they? They were from good stock, nice weren't they? Yeah. They just had a they hard just, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the but the idea that I had anything that you'd need to have something in common with them yeah. is preposterous. But I mean, my sister and I used to go out thinking, right? We lived about, we live about or grew up about 10 miles away from the place in England that you are the furthest from the sea. And yet we oh, went really? out on regular missions to look for smugglers. <laughs> because <laughs> Land-based smugglers. Yeah, because that's what, you know... They're that's, just called thieves, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's, what, we, that's what Enid Blyton suggested to us. And now the idea of, of giving a child Enid Blyton sort of makes my blood curdle. Yeah. But, but we loved it. Yeah. yeah. No, it, she's got a whole chapter about the, the blighting years and how it sort of draws kids in. And the best you can do is just sort of supply them with books and eventually it will end because yeah. there's just so many yeah. um, to burn through. But there's a series, I only found them as an adult, and um, they're called The Adventurous Four. They're just, I think, two or three in the series. 
But in <laughs> this after Timmy the dog died, <laughs> <laughs> a spin-off, different children. But the famous five, I think, there's always baddies. So it's that sort of world war danger, but the kids will yeah. always end up being okay. But in the Adventurous Four, the baddies are the Nazis. Like there's swastikas on the planes, and there's it's a lot more. Maybe that's why it hasn't aged as well as the rest, but it's a lot more brutal, I think. You might like it, Hannah. I think I might. (laughs) (laughs) One book that is a kid's book that I read as an adult and my mate had been banging on about, she's like, you really love it, you'll really love it. It's maybe adolescents rather than actual ch- like actual children, very young children, was I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. And I read that recently when I was on holiday the same time I, I read, read Eleanor Oliphant. <laughs> it is beautiful. Yeah. And Everyone I was so pleased. That. My mate and I went to Ireland for a few days last year mm. and I picked up in a second-hand bookshop mm. and it's a proper old copy that smells amazing. Yeah. Like yes. you were saying about the machine gunners. And so I kept it and I took it abroad and... Two women that I went on holiday, we went on holiday and we all had to bring books that we'd be able to swap. That was the idea. And the other two women, Mary and Laura, read it and were also like, oh, I've heard of this and still never read it. Yeah. And we all just loved it. So, mate, just when you finish this, please go home and read it. <laughs> That's what I will do. Good. Yeah, it's funny, those books as well. That I think I wrote a column for Standard Issue about all those books that you mean to read. Yeah. And it's almost like because every month there's more books that you want. Yeah. 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 All these different worlds to get involved in. Yeah. God, I love reading. I know that sounds really simple, but yeah. God, reading's good, isn't it? Yeah, well, that, so but I think that's also what's so lovely about Lucy's book is that I think all those kids who do love books, I mean, in your school, you've got, what, like 25 other kids? If no one there shares your taste, you don't really get to talk about them. And then as an yeah. adult, and with these books and with Twitter, you're like, oh, we can talk about I Capture the Castle and the Famous Five. And it's sort of... I don't know, it's that moment for the kids that we weren't doing the Spice Girls routines in the playground. Yeah. We talk about The Secret <laughs> Seven. I buy my mates who have children books. That's what they get. Yeah. Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls has been going yeah, down a treat at the moment. I bought that for a two-year-old. She can't read it yet, but to her mum, Nazir, I was like, yeah, you're going to enjoy this as much as yeah. winter is. And so that sort of building a good bookshelf will sort of see you through because mm. you yeah. can read them at any point. And you, that, especially that one, you can dip into that literally at any age. Yeah, I read it stuff. before I gave it to them. <laughs> really carefully holding the yes. cover. So then, yeah. Should we jump to another one? Yes, actually, let's jump to which one would you like, Eleanor or Elsie? Let's talk about Elsie because you are solo on this one because I've not read it. Have you read it? Hannah? No. Ah, well, when, if I read Capture the Castle, you guys okay. need to go read Elsie. Oh, that that one's like me it's too. Got a, yeah, it's got Battenberg, Battenberg on the Battenberg cover. I'm really hungry. Uh, <laughs> I want cake. It is good. So this is Three Things About Elsie by Joanna Cannon. It came out in January. Joanna Cannon wrote The Trouble with Goats and Sheep, which did crazy well last year. And this is her second book. So she used to be a psychiatrist in the NHS and she just has this really wonderful way of talking about people and the way that people are and things that we do every paragraph you just sort of really trust in everything she says and the way she observes people and this book is about an 84 year old called Florence she lives in a sheltered housing place called Cherry Tree Home and it's both the story of Florence trying to piece her memories together but also about what happens in those sheltered housing places which are often a little bit on the edge of society and not always talked about and they're kind of a bit set apart So when the book opens, Florence has had a fall and she's lying on the floor of her sheltered housing flat and she's trying to make sense of what happened. And then it hops back to a month before her fall. And it's her and her friend Elsie in this care home and this new arrival appears. Florence is sure, sure, sure that she's seen him before and that he's this sort of sinister figure from her past. But because Florence is a bit confused, she's not particularly clear on what happened, 
the people around her and also the reader isn't quite sure if this man is sinister or if Florence is forgetting. So there are all these funny things like he'll appear in different places and he complains at one point that she's spying on him and then they find binoculars in her flat but she doesn't remember the binoculars. Um, she buys a Battenberg from the shop, hence the cover, and then when she opens the cupboard there's 25 of them, she's bought too many and she doesn't remember this. It's a very clever narration because Florence is confused and you're confused too and so that unreliable narrator sometimes can be quite frustrating but in this case you just feel so in Florence's world and thinking like her and just desperate to put these pieces together. That's sort of a similar structure to Helen and Oliphant, yeah, yes. where you're you're in their world. That it's very first person. There's no Voice. omnipresent narrator who's telling you, "Well, this is going on in yeah." This you've bit. got and their you, interpretation. They're almost sort of detective-like because you're trying to fit mm-hmm. the pieces together as the person is. Yeah, and knowing which pieces to trust because all our memories are flawed, and yeah. if you're 84, they are yeah. perhaps more flawed than others. And talking about trust, I think one of my greatest frustrations when I read books is Mm. if it veers in any way close to anything you have any experience of and then you think yes nothing like that (laughs) I've (laughs) trawled all the way through this and it doesn't feel real and yet someone with the experience that she has you would hope yeah it feels like Joanna Cannon's possibly got like an area of expertise it's not someone sort of thinking oh I'll write about an elderly person that will sell she knows what she's trying to say and there's bits that are really heartbreaking like she talks Florence only really talks to Elsie and then she gets a friend called Jack he's later in the book and he's General Jack he was in the army but she says that she likes to call him General Jack with a lowercase g. But Jack doesn't mind because that still makes him sound useful, which is just... Aww. And then Florence is always trying to be helpful, so she's always offering to like make tea for people. She goes to the shop to buy the Battenberg and offers to like give the shelves a quick once-over, but no one wants her help. And there's a horrible bit where she sees somebody across from her who passed away and all her belongings are in a skip. And she comments that all your life, all your carefully chosen stuff is just in the skip and then it goes. Well, isn't isn't that strange? Because we were just talking about that because Jen moved house Mm. recently. And I said, when I bought my flat, Mm. the flat below us was being emptied at the same time that we were moving in. Mm. And they were throwing all the stuff into it in a skip. Mm. And it put me into a real existential funk. And I was like... I'm just going to throw it all in the skip now. Yeah. <laughs> Save some of the effort. Save the middleman. Save yeah. the middleman. Well, 50 years later, somebody's just going to throw it in there anyway. Yeah, yeah. there is that is there is something quite moving about that yeah. image of possessions in a skip of a life that just, nobody nobody wants the yeah. remnant self. And no one yeah. remembers. I think these kind of first-person adventures, in a way, into mm. dementia and making, I, I assume yeah. that's what we're talking about, is a brilliant way of letting us feel how people feel who can't tell us how they're feeling. That yeah. is a very complicated sentence. But it reminds me a little bit, if we skip to TV for a moment, mm. the brilliant episode in BoJack Horseman, where you're seeing dementia from the woman with uh, the woman horse with dementia <laughs> point of view. And it's it's childlike drawings. It's things that, that, that don't quite fit. And, and a yeah. fractured timeline. And a fractured yeah. timeline yeah. that bounces back and forth and, and misremembered memories. Mm but then details that are true, so throw the whole thing off. Yeah. And it is it is such a beautiful, really moving way to get into someone's world. There was a book similar, actually. Some... Yes, um, Emma Healy's Elizabeth is Missing Elizabeth a few years is ago, missing, which yeah. is also fantastic. Yeah, it's great. But, like, I sobbed no, at the end. Yeah. Of, yeah, because it just, I think it's one of those stories where unless you've got a grandparent or a relative with a similar condition, it becomes sort of one of those things you read about in the news and you know it's difficult, but you don't know about it personally. And I think that's where fiction can be really interesting. Yeah, about. you see it from a very clinical point of view when you're reading news stories yeah. about it. So to get that insight, I think it's, it's really important, actually. Yeah, and there's a lovely bit. So when they're trying to solve the mystery, they convince the staff at the care home to take them on a weekend away to Whitby. 
and oh, everybody is, loves a bit of Whitby. A bit of Whitby. I love Whitby. Uh, <laughs> but this is where it's so the, the goth weekend. Yeah. <laughs> well, they weren't on the goth weekend. That would, would have been interesting with the pensioners. But it's sort of where the mystery builds. I won't talk about that because spoilers. But it's just these lovely bits about Elsie and Florence saying they never thought they'd see the sea again, and like having they have a dance, and it's just kind of like the opposite of Lucy's book. It's things that you've done for the last time and not realise it's the last yeah. time. God, that's heartbreaking. But it's done so beautifully. Yeah. It's done beautifully. That book leads really nicely into Eleanor Oliphant. Eleanor it's Oliphant. completely fine. It's, she is completely fine. Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. She works the same job every day. She buys a meal deal for lunch. And on Friday, she buys pizza from Tesco's and drinks two litres of vodka over the weekend, which <laughs> gives you the first inkling that maybe everything is not completely fine. <laughs> yes, so you've read this one. I have read this one. And I think you said you read it in like a day. Yeah, it I was, read it in, it. yeah, I think a day, race through it. It's a really easy, fast read, but that's not to say it's not packed with, again, really moving, important stuff. But it's also really fucking funny. It's very funny and you just you can't put it down because your, so your brain is so caught up with Eleanor and what she's doing and you want to sort of you're right actually know. to take a break or oh, it felt weird you have to then readjust there's yeah. an adjustment in the first few chapters when I did actually go oh am I enjoying this but then once I was Hooked. in her world that was it yeah yeah and she's got a really it's interesting again and again it's it's just a story but there's lots of other layers to it and with this one there's comments again you don't really know what happened there's references to things in the past and they come clearer as you read through the book but when you meet Eleanor she's got this very regimented way of living and I think it said somewhere that she knows how to survive but not how to live and it's sort of about the rules of being a human and what you need in your house and the things that would go in a skip but if you don't have that your house is very sparse she keeps herself very separate at work just does her job and eats her lunch and does a crossword and off she goes home she doesn't and really understand other people no and isn't really fussed about it no. she's not sad about it she's, she's completely got, fine she's completely fine and then she meets this guy at work called Raymond which I think she's not that fussed by and then she and Raymond come across a pensioner who's fallen down in the street collapse and they help him and then she ends up visiting him in the hospital and gradually she starts meeting all these people and they're all kind and she sort of starts to thaw and she has to do things like she has to go and like buy a certain outfit when she has to go to a funeral because she didn't have those clothes and she goes and gets her hair done and she just gradually breaks out of these rules she set for herself and sees that there's more more in the world which is nice and again from a place you might not have been expecting from Raymond in a collapsed pensioner in the street and also having to face things that she's doing that are bad for her yes. like she has an obsession with someone she's never met and she thinks that he is the one they're going to be together and everything she does then becomes her route to him yes actually that's a good point so she goes ends up going to this gig because she won the tickets not because she chose to go to the gig and she meets this well sees the lead singer and decides he is the perfect man so when Raymond suggests things like a drink after work, she thinks, oh, this will be good practice for when I meet the singer, so I'll know what to order in a bar. So she almost sees it as lessons to meet this singer. But, of course, while she's learning how to do things for him, she's learning them for herself as well. And it's it's just beautifully written. And, yeah, you just want to read through the whole thing and then sort of hang out with her afterwards. She and that is a debut novel? Yes, debut. Wow. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's a brilliant structure. Again, it kind of reminded me of another book. Have you read Poppy Shakespeare? No. Oh. You both really like that, I think. Yeah. I can say with some confidence. I've read it three times, so it's one of those oh, books that I, I, shall. I really like. And it's set, in, it's set in a care home, mm-hmm. again, but for a, a, a rehab sort of care home for people with mental illnesses that lead them to addiction. And it's about one woman's obsession with another patient mm-hmm. and how she thinks she's wonderful and wants, she wants to emulate her. But, of course, Poppy Shakespeare's as fucked up as the narrator. But it is another one of those where the narrator, you can't trust them because they don't know what the fuck they're doing Yeah, yeah. they're just wandering around. Yeah. 
but yeah Eleanor really draws you in you just sort of desperately want to go for a pint with her even though she would hate that because she does not want to meet people yeah. <laughs> she has got plans um, unless you're the singer in that band at least at the start of the book and not in a spoilery way at all but the book is left quite open-ended which I really enjoyed yeah. because it's one of those where you know when you're so into the character you're like just tell me what she ate for a tea I just want to know <laughs> yeah. what was she wearing what's in the what is in that drawer just just keep talking to me because yeah. I really like hearing from you so it felt like there was much more of Eleanor's story that you could see she was a bit more equipped to deal with than when you first start the book. Yeah, that's nice as well. But I think also it's nice with books when, I try not to say any spoilers, There's so the book does get wrapped up the bit that's sort of puzzling you is revealed. But I think, yeah, it's this idea that she's not done. This is her now, because she's sort of starting afresh mm-hmm. and then she's off presumably having lots more adventures and hopefully there's hope isn't yeah. there Anne and I think that we need to cling on to any in the current climate yeah, absolutely. Eleanor Oliphant can find hope <laughs> so can everybody is there anything else that's coming up soon that you're excited about yes uh, next on my list is um, Sophia Bennett's Unveiling Venus so she wrote a YA novel last year called Following Ophelia which was set in the um, London pre-Raphaelite art scene that was beautiful so that one's just come out is um, that about Lizzie Siddle? Um, she appears. Okay. But it's a fictional girl who ends up in that world, so it's the okay. muse to the artist, and it's just the descriptions of London are beautiful. And this next one is set in Venice, so I'm very excited to read that. And then Robin Stevens, who writes Agatha Christie's for children. She's just brought out the seventh in her series, which is called A Spoonful of Murder. And she has two, again, boarding school base, so you guys would definitely Ooh, love them. Hot. But in this one, so there's two detectives, Daisy and Daisy Hazel. Daisy and Hazel. Hazel is from Hong Kong. And so all these books, she's a bit of a fish out of water in London in the country houses and in the boarding school. But in this book, they go to Hong Kong to see her family. And so Daisy is the one who's got to learn new ways of being and see how it comes. And Robin just writes beautifully about Hong Kong and this adventure. And it's just such a beautiful book um, with a mystery. So who done it? You need to find out. That's Excellent. the joy of books, isn't it? I think, you know, again, I consider myself a fairly smart woman. But most of my knowledge comes from reading a, a fiction mm. and then being interested into why the author has chosen to set it there. Okay, that's a true thing that happened, that they're building this fiction around. So then I go off and do research mm. about that and learn about that. Like the Kite Runner taught me about Afghanistan. Just all yeah. all these kind of ways into other cultures and history and yeah. people. I feel like I need to be in a book club, with a book group with Anne, because I was in a book group for about nine months and I didn't like a single one of the books we read. Did you not? No. And then... Apart from the one you chose. And then I chose one. What did you choose? I chose Sarah Perry's After Me Comes the Flood. Oh, nice. And that I really liked. So what did the rest of the book group And The rest of the book group initially told me they hated it to prove the point that, um, <laughs> that how horrible it was and then they all went, no, actually, we really liked it. She it to me. I can um, it's very good. Yeah. They should have let you just pick all the books. Yeah, maybe, but I think it was, yeah, it was just bad luck, I think, because I had stopped reading fiction mm. and started almost exclusively reading non-fiction. Mm. And I thought, have I grown out? Is there something, have I lost the art of reading fiction? Yeah. And so, yes, thank you, Sarah Perry, because that was a book that made me go, no, actually, it's okay. It's just what I've read yeah. isn't very She's good. She's got a new one coming out in October. She has. Yes, she has. Um, we'll yeah. talk about that in October. Yeah, that would be brilliant. <laughs> to Hannah's Book Club. Yeah. Only Sarah Perry <laughs> yeah. books allowed. Don't Library. Yeah. <laughs> that I was like great. It. Thank you so much no, for coming in, Anne. Where can people find you? Because you're also a QIL, aren't I you? I am, yes. When I'm reading non-fiction, that goes into QI and the uh-huh. fiction. And how can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at Miller underscore Anne. That's probably the best place. Are you open and to book recommendations and yeah, stuff? Yeah, always. Especially yeah. if they're like stuff like I Capture the Castle, because... That's number one on the list now. Yes. <laughs> and also, you are involved in the, well, a bit more than involved in the Museum of Curiosities. Yes. 
How much longer is that on the air? And um, people listen to when that? is this going out? <laughs> this, this week. week. Wednesday. Oh, that's, so you can find it on iPlayer. The last in the series will be out on Monday. Okay. We're recording it. So the Monday that has probably just passed. Yeah, it's the most fun in the world. And we have Sally Phillips as our co-host or curator, as we call them. And the series has just been so fun. It's such a mix of people. So the setup for the show is that the museum is an imaginary museum. And so you can donate anything you want. It doesn't have to be something that's living or that's real or that's the right size. We've got the Big Bang in there. We've got Helena Troy. We've got a Calpat. So it really ranges. And each episode, we invite three guests to come and be on the board and put forward things to enter into the museum. So this series, we had Richard Curtis. We had Hostage Negotiator. We had a whole bunch of brilliant comedians. And we had Ella Al-Shamahi, who is a paleoanthropologist. And she specialises in digs in disputed territories like Yemen and Syria. So some really interesting people in that series. So it's like an anti-room 101. Yeah, it's all the good things. OK, that sounds cool. Just braids in an elaborate virtual it's museum. It's going to end up in a skip anyway. Yeah, yeah. And no, I for to, always. I haven't got time to listen. I've got a massive pile of books I'm about to try to <laughs> wrestle out of Anne's hands. <laughs> <laughs> and so that these two can start their fight. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks very much. Thank you.